Well, my mother always told me that we shouldn't talk about politics or religion in polite company. And today, I'm going to do a little bit of both. I want to talk about the politics of the human condition. The last week as I was home and spent a majority of my time in bed recovering from uh, illness, I had uh, time to turn on the television, which I rarely do around my house, and I turned on the news and I tuned in to uh, the live feed from Washington, D.C. as the 45th president of the United States was on trial in the Senate. Now, whether you support the impeachment of this president or not, if you were watching it, you were witnessing human history in the making. It's the same human history that records the exercise and the transition of power in all the nations of the world over all of recorded time. I'm talking about the rulers of ancient Egypt, the kings of ancient Judah, the emperors of Rome, the kings of Europe, the, poem, the popes of Rome, and all of the presidents of the United States that have gone before. Human history in the making, and if you were tuned into it, you were a part of this event in human history. For it or against it makes no difference. Now, in this country, the, the election of an American president represents this peaceful transfer of power from one leader to the next. That's the way our Constitution was designed. That's the way the structure of our government was set up. And if it's done well, if this transfer of power is done well, it acknowledges the source of the power as the one and the only Almighty God. If you watched the inauguration of this president back in 2016, then you would have tuned into an inauguration ceremony that acknowledged Jesus Christ as Lord of all, that paid homage to the principles of righteous servant leadership, in fact, they did that in this past inauguration very well. Whether you like the president or not, it's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the transfer of power that acknowledges that the true power comes from God. Now, this thing that I tuned into, this, this trial that I tuned into, part of human history was something a little bit different. Just the feel of it, the nature of it. There was this, this element missing in my mind, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it until I got busy writing this particular message. The difference was, where was the acknowledgement of the power? Now, I didn't really come here this morning to talk about politics, but rather to focus on a few principles that are important if a nation like ours is to be made great. And that's what Isaiah was talking about in the Old Testament reading this morning. 
He talks about a people who walk in darkness in this land of Zebulun and this land of Naphtali. These are tribal regions of ancient Israel. And they have a dark history of inner turmoil, conflict, and war. There's a region in the time when Israel was divided into two kingdoms, Judah and Israel. And the king of Judah, Ahaz, invited the king of Assyria named Tiglath, invited him to help him wage this campaign of war against the kings of Syria and Israel. And Tiglath seizes on the opportunity. He says, you know, I'm all too happy to help, but there'll be a price to pay. And the price was high. He took many people from Ahaz's kingdom. He took them captive. It's quite an alliance, isn't it? I, I, I'll help you out, but I get to enslave some of your people. And he took people from this region of Zebulun and Naphtali. So eventually in this void that's left by the deportation of all these captives, non-Jewish, non-Hebrew Gentiles move into the area and they colonize it and it becomes known as the region of the Gentiles or Galilee. That name should sound familiar to you. So in typical prophetic fashion, Isaiah expresses how God transforms this dark nation, this dark region full of turmoil and war, this region around the Sea of Galilee, He transforms it into something great. He says, but there will be no gloom for those who were in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. See, Isaiah is speaking of this righteous reign of the coming King, the Messiah Jesus. And He will bring light to the dark region. Now you'll recall that Jesus' ministry begins in Galilee. And it was centered throughout His three years of earthly ministry in Galilee. The region of Galilee, which was once darkened, was among the first to receive the light. Jesus brought light to Jew and Gentile alike. Jesus didn't pay any attention to the human division. He brought light to a region that was desperately in need of a Savior. And most of His apostles were from Galilee, and with them He ministered as both the light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of His people Israel. 
And so when we look at that example, what made the nation great? As we look at this formerly dark region of Galilee and the formerly dark nation of Judah, we see them rise to greatness because of one significant event in human history. Now, I'm not talking about the greatness of this world power that's capable of exerting its will over all the other nations around us. That's certainly not what Judah or Galilee was about, was it? I'm not... I'm I'm speaking of a greatness that endures through time even as rulers come and go. As power is transferred both peacefully and or violently from one ruler to the next. I'm talking about greatness that surpasses even the longevity of the nation itself. There is no more nation of Judah. doesn't exist. It's all Israel now. And until... Years, several years after World War II, there was no nation of Israel. The greatness surpasses the nation itself. The event I'm talking about, of course, is the birth of Jesus Christ. And the greatness that I'm referring to is this enduring message of the Gospel that when embraced by the people of Galilee, caused them to rise from darkness into the greatness of wisdom, the greatness of truth, the greatness of the light of life, life abundant, life eternal, enduring greatness, eternal greatness. So when we hear the question, what makes the nation great? Well, it's God that makes the nation great. It's Christ that makes the nation great. Then in our epistle this morning, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth. And they are a people divided. Do we know any divided churches these days? (laughs) The people are divided and they're fighting with each other about whose team they're on. Some of them are aligned with Paul, Team Paul. Some of them are on Cephas or Peter's team, Team Peter. Then there's Apollos' team. And they're fighting. Which teacher is the best? Which leader is the right leader? And Paul admonishes all of them. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. And he asks them a question. Has Christ been divided? Even more pointed question. Was I crucified for you? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in my name, in the name of Paul? No. What Paul is telling us is that a house divided against itself can't stand. Unity is strength, but unity in Christ is stronger than anything. No human leader can take Christ's place. No human leader can be a stronger agent for unity. There can't be a stronger, un, uh, a stronger agent for unity than Jesus Christ. No human leader can make a nation great. Only unity in Christ can accomplish that. Only a leader who invokes the Holy Spirit who calls on Christ for strength, who looks to God for purpose and direction, 
Only that kind of leader can make a nation great because only God makes the nation great. Which brings us to our Gospel lesson. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, it's John the Baptist, He withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made His home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. (coughs) From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat with their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. See, the people who sat in darkness has seen a great light. See, the political division in our country is more than political. The division in the United Methodist Church. The division in the greater universal church of God is a bigger source of divisiveness that trickles into every facet of our human condition. See, when the fallen human condition infiltrates and seeks to tear down the church the way that Satan has sought to do for millennia, when the fallen human condition infiltrates the church, there is no part of human life that is untouched. It attacks our family. It attacks our marriage. It attacks our identity. And it certainly attacks our sense of government and politics. Now, if unless you've been living under a rock or you don't pay attention to such things, there was a news release that came out that talked about possible division in the United Methodist Church a separation based on the lines of this question of human sexuality. While it is far too soon 
for us to have really any meaningful conversations about what that division might look like, there has to be a vote in general conference. There has to be discussion in the annual conference before anything trickles down to Shepherd United Methodist Church. Before we even have to have those conversations, a lot of things have to take place. Here's one thing I know for certain. No matter what is decided up there in the grand structure of the United Methodist Church, our mission as the body of Christ in motion in shepherd will remain the same. We are the church. I don't care what logo's on the sign out front. We are the body of Christ. There is nothing that man can do to tear down the church because the church is established by God Himself for the purpose of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, making disciples of Jesus for the transformation of the world. And I don't care whose name is on the sign, that mission will never change. So for us, while we let them worry about the structure, who's writing the checks, who's owning the properties, where the tithes and offerings go, For us, nothing changes. This is important. Because whether we're talking about government or whether we're talking about church, if we the people are the power behind the government, if we the people are the church, then it is our responsibility to use that power with wisdom and compassion. It's our responsibility to unify as we've already determined the only way to establish a united nation or a united body of Christ with the ability to endure, to have lasting impact and significance is to unify in the eternal power of Christ because God does not change. His mission will not change. It's all about, reconcilia- all about reconciliation. Humankind to God. Ever since the fall in the garden, this is what the church has been about. Reconciliation. And so, like Simon, Peter, and Andrew, like James and John, the sons of Zebedee, We have to drop our nets and follow Jesus. We have to drop the net of our political party. We have to drop the net of what side of this argument we're on, and we have to follow Jesus. It's hard to do because we're ingrained with certain things that we believe to be right. And let me not sugarcoat it because complete transparency, I believe 
That when we're talking about the sanctity of human life, when we're talking about keeping God in the everyday lives of the people of this country, when we're talking about things that are of a salvation nature, there's a right and a wrong. And we have to align ourselves with what's right and stay away from what's wrong. Interpret that however you like. I'm just saying, there are some things that are pretty cut and dry in the Bible, and there are certain factions out there in government, certain people who are representing us who believe that, and there are certain people who don't. Do your homework, investigate who those people are, and vote accordingly. It's not my place to tell you who to vote for. I'm just saying read your Bible and then determine who follows that and who doesn't. My recommendation is that we have to be the hope we want to see in our nation. We have to be the hope that we want to see in our church. We have to be positive, hopeful, righteous, Christ-like. That's the attitude that we have to take into the world. The only way to bring positive change to a nation or or to a church is the hope of Christ. The hope of Christ. The hope that just like light chases away darkness. The hope that just like love chases away fear. Only Jesus unifies completely. Only God makes a nation or a church great. Can I get off my soapbox? This message is not designed to divide. Because I know in a group this size, there are people on literally on both sides of the aisle. Politically, whatever your stance is on human sexuality, whatever your stance is on abortion, whatever your stance is on the things that are in discussion in our society today. There are people on both sides. People on both sides have a very real relationship to Jesus Christ. I know it's hard to believe. Somebody that doesn't think like me has a relationship with Jesus, that cannot be. But it's true. And so we have to come together in the middle where Jesus is and lean on His understanding to sort these things out. Whatever comes down in the division of our church, whatever comes down in the trial of of Donald J. Trump, whatever comes down, we have to understand that God is sovereign and in control, period, end of sentence. Politics and religion. Two things my mama told me never to talk about, and here we've just spent a good 20 minutes on both of those. But I hope the message that you receive is, unless we lean on Christ, there is no unity. Unless we believe on Christ, there is no truth. Unless we follow Christ, there can be no future for the nation or for the church. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you would like to stand, we will sing One Bread, One Body.